Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Welcome. My name is Elisha Asgard Dotson. I'm an attorney with Littler Seattle office. Littler is the largest management side labor and employment practice in the world, but we also deal a lot with the realm of diversity, equity and inclusion, unconscious bias, leadership and communication strategies. And that's what we'll be focusing on here today, as I welcome you to the premiere episode of my diversity, equity and inclusion podcast series, your diversity and inclusion toolkit. We're here today to discuss President Trump's September 22nd, 2020 executive order on combating race and sex stereotyping. Joining me on this discussion are my guests, David Goldstein, a shareholder from Littler's Minneapolis office and the co-chair of the firm's Government Contractors Industry Group and OFCCP Practice Group, and Jim Peretti, also a Littler shareholder from our Washington, D.C. office. Hello, David and Jim. Hi, Elisha. Thanks for having us today. Hi. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. So let's jump into the program. As we have all heard by now, President Trump's September 22nd order, Executive Order 13950, prohibits the federal government and its contractors from teaching that the U.S. is fundamentally racist or sexist, that an individual should bear responsibility for actions committed by past members of the person's race or sex that an individual should feel guilty as a result of their race or sex, or that an individual has privileges because of their race or sex. So Jim, without further ado, let me ask you, what are the key highlights of the EO? Well, I think you hit on the first one, which is basically there, you know, it introduces two, what I'll call prohibited concepts, essentially sexual or racial stereotyping or scapegoating. Those are the phrases that are repeatedly used throughout the order, and it purports to limit the use of those in a federal contractor or subcontractors training programs. Broadly speaking, it will require contractors with government agencies to adopt by way of contract a provision that incorporates the order. So that won't come into effect until at least 60 days after the date of the order, which would be November 21st. But even then it will take a little bit more time likely for them to get that contractual provision into new or renewed contracts. A point I would stress, however, is that OFCCP has taken the position that stereotyping or scapegoating may already be prohibited under Executive Order 11246. So this is not an example where we can say, okay, there's nothing to worry about here for until at least after November. The department is open now. They are receiving complaints on their hotline, and they have taken the position that at least some of these uh, programs may be violative of existing regulatory law of the order, even prior to the 13950 becoming effective. It applies to contractors and subcontractors. The terms are used generally interchangeably throughout the orders and subsequent requests for information, as well as applying to those who will receive federal grants again later in the future. So there's a lot to process here, but that's sort of the, you know, in the here and now, here's where we are. You are right. That is certainly a lot to take in, in rather short order. For me, and I imagine as well for our employers who are listening, David, I imagine that this is causing some confusion among federal contractors. Have you witnessed an immediate impact on federal contractors? It is indeed causing some confusion and consternation. The first question uh, your contractors have is, 
what does this mean for me? What does it mean for training that we already have scheduled or that we're about to sign a contract to do? What can we do and what can't we do? And answers to those questions are not entirely clear. Uh, the OFCCP has tried to tamp down some of the very negative reaction to the executive order by saying it's not as extreme as you think it is, uh, that there's still a lot you can do, and it's really only uh, certain types of training that really single out one group or another that you're prohibited from doing. But given the language of the executive order, given the concerns of some of the folks who were proponents for this executive order, I don't think there's a lot of confidence or trust uh, in the contractor community as to how reasonably this will actually be enforced. Uh, added to that is the fact that a hotline has been established that appears to be encouraging employees or other individuals to make complaints, and, and it leads contractors to feel a little bit like they're perhaps being singled out or set up for controversy in uh, in a time when there's a lot of, of political controversy already going on and, and uh, a lot of disputes as to what's right or wrong in this space. Beyond that, and we don't have to go into detail on it, there's lots of technical questions that contractors have. When does it apply to me uh, if I'm a prime contractor? When does it apply to me if I'm a subcontractor? What do I have to do today? Is it clear that this is going to even survive judicial challenge or will it be challenged? So lots and lots of questions. You're right. And, you know, I can't imagine that we would have an opportunity to dive into all those questions today. But here's my first question. If I were a federal contractor, does it apply to me, just as you just said? So, David, how does an employer evaluate if they had to count it off on their fingers whether they're going to be impacted by this executive order? So this executive order is unusual in that it uh, it purports to apply much more broadly than most other contractual requirements that are imposed on federal contractors. This one purports to apply to any federal contractor that has the applicable contract provisions put into its contracts. So even if it is as small a contract as a $10 purchase of magazines and gum by a federal agency, presumably this could apply to you. So. As a former journalist, I have to ask, as I was trained to, the who, the what, the when. Thank you for answering the who, David. Jim, could you tell us a little bit more about the when, as in when does this go into effect? And you know what? Let's throw in the what, as in what should employers avoid or do so that they do not violate this executive order? Sure. Uh, well, the when question, it will become fully effective when these contractual provisions are entered into in new government contracts or government contracts that are renewed that's at least 60 days out from the date of the order and probably longer than that but as i mentioned earlier at least some of the key provisions of the order are purportedly in effect now and maybe you know potentially implicated so with respect to those you know prohibited concepts and i'm, I'm making the air quotes of stereotyping or scapegoating contractors now will want to take a look at their training materials i mean frankly in our experience what this order purports to get at is not very commonly seen. It's not what I think we see in most of our clients, quote unquote, mainstream DNI training materials. Uh, the order does go out of its way and, and the agency has gone out of its way to state that diversity and inclusion programs should continue. They are important, they are valued. It's really just this you know, narrow subset 
of prohibited issues, concepts that a contractor is going to want to avoid. For example, if we want to talk about implicit bias, uh, I think it's my view that if we take the view, you know, each worker comes to the workplace based with a lifetime of experiences behind them, that may lead to each of us having certain internal or implicit assumptions or biases. I think that would, would pass muster under the order. I think if we focus it on a way that, you know, to be almost a caricature to say, well, all white people are going to come to the to the workplace with an implicit bias against persons of color. I think that would be the sort of thing that the executive order says is problematic. Same thing with the discussion of privilege. We can talk about the privilege that each of us has as based on our upbringing, the different experiences we've had, but as to sort of single out one class or sector of folks as being especially privileged as regards another, I think that would be problematic. So we're advising clients and working with clients to review their DNI programs. Certainly they can continue to go full steam ahead as they have. Uh, if folks want to ensure they're doing the best they can to comply with what is still you know, a vague and tenuous order, we've reviewed more than a few for clients. And I can tell you that the changes have been minimal. I mean, it might simply be changing you know, a turn of phrase on a slide, you know, that, that sort of thing. We're not talking about fundamentally revisiting uh, the scope or purpose of the training. All right. I am now in the know. Thank you, Jim. But I'm going to ask you both to dig out your crystal balls so that we can peer into the future. For all of you out there in internet land, visualize me putting on my wizard's hat. I'm looking for predictions, Jim and David, and adding my where question. Like, where do we go from here, David? So as all of us are, of course, aware, we have an election coming up in the very near future, and the results of that election are going to impact what happens with this executive order. In a Biden administration, it's very difficult to imagine that this order will remain in effect. On the other hand, if this current administration continues, clearly this order will remain in effect and OFCCP will seek to enforce it. If OFCCP seeks to enforce it, it seems very likely that there will be challenges. There are both procedural uh, and legal concerns about how the order was enacted and is being implemented. And there's the overall concern that this may not represent the best public policy. The order brings to the four difficult issues. And, and I wouldn't dismiss the concerns that the order is intending to address, but the bottom line is that dealing with issues of race and sex and, and gender and stereotyping and bias in the workplace is hard. And these are very hard conversations to hold. And for the government to create an edict that some things can and other things cannot be discussed in the workplace makes these already difficult conversations much more difficult to hold in a constructive way. And for that reason alone, I think there's going to be contractor uh, resistance to this order if uh, enforcement efforts on it uh, should begin. Thank you, David. Jim, did you have any predictions to add to that mix? Well, I think I think David is spot on. A lot of this will turn on what is the leadership of the of the department next year. If this is if we are continuing with a second term, this is obviously something which they are invested in. If we are looking at a new administration, I do agree this is probably on a short list of things they would look at pretty quickly and attempt to rein in or pull back. But you know, those those outcomes will be known hopefully sooner rather than later. But I, th I think David pretty much summed it up. All right. 
but certainly not to be forgotten, the request for information that the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs issued on October 21st. Uh, for those of you who weren't aware of it, the RFI invited federal contractors who are unsure about the compliance status of their DNI training materials to seek assistance from the OFCCP by December 1st. According to that RFI, if a contractor voluntarily submits materials to the OFCCP for review, the agency will exercise its enforcement discretion and not take enforcement action if the contractor promptly comes into compliance. However, the OFCCP has reserved the right to pursue enforcement actions if it determines that the contractor refused to correct any identified issues. What are the possible benefits and risks of that RFI? David, can you help me out here? Well, it's very hard, and, and perhaps Jim will have other thoughts about this, but it's very hard for me to see any benefits to doing it. In the first place, I, I think many contractors are concerned by what appears to be a, a government interest in censorship. You know, this idea that a contractor should submit its materials to the government for pre-approval seems to be quite an offensive concept to many. And even if they were being offered a real benefit, if there was a real safe harbor here, I, I think some contractors would hesitate to sail into it, given the uh, philosophical and, and, and political ramifications of, of what's being asked here. Beyond that, the fact is most contractors' training materials are very unlikely to be controversial in this way, and there would be no need to uh, to take advantage of this. And, and if your materials are, which is unlikely, more controversial, you, you probably don't want to show it to this administration. I don't know that you would trust them to, uh, to assess them in, in a way that you'd like. So bottom line is there doesn't seem to be a lot of advantage to submitting materials to uh, OFCCP to review. Also, I understand that there was a stakeholder call that went about around the same time as the RFI call came out. Um, and the idea there was to provide additional guidance on diversity and inclusion training restrictions on the executive order. What, if anything new, did you learn from that call, Jim? I don't know that there was anything especially new. Uh, I, I was, I've been heartened to hear, uh, and I'm maybe a little more cautiously optimistic than David, that the, at least on its face, the administration is saying, we support diversity and inclusion efforts. We recognize that they may be even be required at times pursuant to affirmative action programs. You know, whether we will get further guidance or some sense of what the, you know, meets and bounds are and what they're gonna find to be compliant or not compliant, I, I think that remains to be seen. I agree with David that anyone considering submitting their materials to the RFI should really do so only after consulting with counsel and getting you know a really back and forth as to what the potential advantages are, if any. Certainly some may just choose to wait and see what, how this unfolds. You know, the stated purpose on the call of the RFI was to gather information so that the agency could develop additional FAQs and provide some more concrete guidance. We'll see what the take-up rate on that is, and then subsequently whether uh, they're actually able to give us something out of it. So this is definitely a, a stay tuned, and perhaps we'll uh, perhaps we'll be visiting again or recording again in January or maybe even sooner. Well, that is the latest on this ever-evolving topic, and I thank Jim and David for their stellar insights. Don't hesitate to reach out to Jim, David, or myself if you should have 
any more questions concerning Executive Order 13950 or the request for information. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much. Folks, I will continue to unbox and demystify the executive order and other DEI topics in the future. So stay tuned. Our next topic on this podcast delves into the cutting-edge tool of facilitated listening groups, often called courageous conversations. Employers are using these tools to better understand what their workforce wants so that they can best mold their diversity programs. Remember to get in touch with me and let me know if you would like me to cover a particular diversity, equity, and inclusion subject, or talk to one of us in greater detail about the topic we discussed today. Thanks for listening. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.